Good morning, and welcome to 5 at 8. It's Thursday, September 14th, 2023, and with me here is Linda Carlisle. I'm Mark Overman, and here are the day's top stories. In this episode, we'll talk about the German shoemaker Birkenstock filing for an IPO, the challenges of regulating artificial intelligence, Ukraine breaching Russia's defense, concerns about Apple's relationship with China, and the appointment of Mario Draghi to advise the EU on economic competitiveness in the transition to greener energy. Story number one. German shoemaker Birkenstock has filed for an initial public offering, IPO, on the New York Stock Exchange in a bid to raise its global profile while maintaining its German roots, as reported by the New York Times. The IPO could value the company at over $8.0 billion. Since being acquired by L. Catterton and Bernard Arnault's family investment company two years ago, Birkenstock has expanded its profile into more of a lifestyle product, collaborating with well-known shoe designers. The company plans to list the week of the 9th of October. In the six months to the 31st of March, Birkenstock reported a net profit of 40 million euros, 43 million dollars, down from 73 million euros in the same period last year. Did you see Birkenstock's decision to go public? I think it's a smart move. The company has a solid track record, and there's potential for significant financial growth. Yes, but isn't it a bit risky? Their brand identity is deeply tied to their roots as a small, family-owned German company. Going public, especially on a U.S. stock exchange, might alienate some of their core customers. Well, sure, it's a gamble. But business is all about taking calculated risks. And let's not forget that they've already been expanding their profile. Collaborations with top designers, product diversification. They're clearly aiming for a more mainstream audience. That's true. But I worry that in their pursuit for a wider market, they might lose the very essence that made them popular. Remember, they were embraced by people seeking an alternative lifestyle. Those customers value authenticity, which could be lost in this transition. I do see your point, Linda. But you know, businesses evolve. You've got to adapt to survive, especially in this fast-paced global economy. It's a balancing act, sure, but not impossible. I'm not opposed to evolution, Mark. What concerns me is the potential dilution of their brand essence. It's not just about maintaining customer loyalty. It's about staying true to your roots and values. They could innovate and grow without losing that essence. Hmm. Well... It's definitely something to watch closely. Only time will tell if their gamble pays off. Story number two. In a report from Reuters, the rapid development of artificial intelligence, AI, is posing challenges for governments in terms of establishing regulations. Various countries and international bodies are taking steps to regulate AI tools. Australia plans to draft new codes to prevent the sharing of child sexual abuse material and deep fake versions created by AI. The Financial Conduct Authority in the UK is consulting with institutions to enhance its understanding of AI. China has implemented temporary measures requiring security assessments for mass-market AI products. The European Commission president is calling for a global panel to assess the risks and benefits of AI. France, Israel, Italy, Japan, Spain, and the UN are all investigating potential breaches and planning or seeking input on AI regulations. The U.S. has ruled that AI-created art cannot be copyrighted, and the Federal Trade Commission is investigating open AI for potential consumer protection law violations. Might be a hard pill to swallow, but the pace at which AI is developing is truly staggering. 
It's no surprise that governments are scrambling to keep up. Just look at Australia taking on search engines to prevent the misuse of AI in creating and sharing abusive content. It's a bold move, and one that shows how serious the situation has become. And it's fascinating to see how each country is approaching the challenge differently, isn't it? For instance, China's implementation of temporary measures requiring clearance before launching mass-market AI products, it's definitely a way to keep a check on the technology. But one could argue, it's also a restrictive measure for innovation. Couldn't agree more, Linda. And then, we got the EU, where lawmakers are wrestling with the thorny issue of facial recognition and biometric surveillance. It's like walking a tightrope between security and privacy. And let's not forget the U.S. stance, where recently a work of art created solely by AI cannot be copyrighted. It's a whole new territory we're stepping into. And it's not just about privacy or copyrights. Ethical considerations are key as well. Look at the idea of an AI watchdog, similar to the International Atomic Energy Agency, proposed by the UN Secretary General. It shows a need for a global, unified effort to monitor and guide the development of AI. And it's interesting to see the different attitudes towards public involvement. Some governments like Israel are actively seeking public feedback on draft AI policies, while others seem more closed off. But hey, it's a new frontier, and no one really has all the answers. It's all a learning curve. And as we figure out these regulations, it's also crucial to consider the potential benefits of AI, like how AI can contribute to both defense and civilian sectors. It's a delicate balance to strike, ensuring the technology is used responsibly without stifling innovation. It's a conversation we need to have, and it's good to see it happening globally. Story number three. According to Al Jazeera, Ukraine has reportedly breached Russia's first line of defense in the south of the country. Evidence suggests that Ukraine launched a significant attack on the naval port of Sevastopol in Crimea, targeting a large landing vessel and submarine. It is believed to be the largest attack recorded against the strategically located port. Ukraine may have developed its own long-range cruise missile and surface drones, which it is using to target Crimea. Additionally, Ukrainian ground forces have made significant advances in the south and east of the country, breaking through Russian minefields and trenches in western Zaporizhia. The Ukrainian counteroffensive has encountered its greatest success in the south, with the possibility of breaking through remaining defensive layers by the end of the year, as reported by Al Jazeera. It's quite something to see how Ukraine's homegrown weapon technologies are making a difference in this conflict, isn't it? The success of their long-range missile and surface drone strikes could be a game-changer. It reminds me of how innovation in armaments played a significant role in the outcomes of World War II. Absolutely. And it's not just the technologies themselves, but how they're being used. The strategic targeting of the naval port of Sevastopol, for example, goes to show the importance of understanding geographical advantages in warfare. It's like playing a high-stakes game of chess, where every move can drastically shift the balance of power. Couldn't agree more, Linda. And it's interesting to note the restraint shown by Western allies in this situation. Their decision to hold back on providing long-range munitions to Ukraine is a clear indication of the delicate dance nations are playing to avoid escalating conflicts. And let's not forget the improvisation we're seeing on the ground. The way Russian forces have increased the depth of their minefields in response to the Ukrainian advances is a testament to the adaptability of military strategies in the face of evolving threats. It's a grim reminder of the lengths nations will go to in order to protect their interests. It's a sobering thought. 
but it's also a reminder of the resilience and ingenuity of the human spirit, even in the face of such adversity. The course of this conflict, like many before it, is being shaped not just by the technologies at play, but by the people behind them. Story number four. China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokesperson, Mao Ning, stated that China has not issued any laws or regulations prohibiting the purchase and use of Apple's foreign brand phones, as reported by the Washington Post. However, Mao acknowledged recent media reports highlighting security incidents related to Apple phones. The vague comment has raised concerns about Apple's relationship with China, where it manufactures most of its iPhones and sells more phones than in the United States. Last week, news of a potential iPhone ban for Chinese government workers caused Apple's value to drop by $200 billion. Chinese central government agencies have reportedly advised officials not to bring iPhones or other foreign-branded devices to work, indicating a widening of existing restrictions on foreign-made technology. China's desire to be self-sufficient in critical technologies, such as microchips, and the tightening chokehold on Chinese access by the U.S. and its allies are factors contributing to the politically charged standoff. The Chinese government's campaign questioning the safety of Apple devices could significantly impact the relationship between Apple and China. The reliance on Chinese factories has already been highlighted by worker exoduses and accusations of forced labor. Additionally, Chinese authorities have cited national security concerns to investigate or restrict foreign companies' operations in the country. On the other hand, Chinese graftbusters have reportedly faced difficulties unlocking iPhones during anti-corruption campaigns, which has led to concerns within the Communist Party. Is it just me, Linda? Or does it seem like this situation with Apple in China is just another case of the Chinese government flexing its muscles and trying to control foreign companies? I mean, they've got a huge market over there, and it seems like they're trying to stifle competition. Look at what they're doing with Huawei. They're encouraging their own tech giants to keep up with international leaders. It's all about self-sufficiency for them. Well, Mark, I see where you're coming from, but I think it's also important to consider the national security implications. China, like any other country, has the right to protect its national security interests. They've cited security incidents related to Apple phones, and it's not uncommon for countries to scrutinize foreign technology for potential threats. Remember how the U.S. government banned Huawei due to similar concerns? Yeah, I get that, Linda, but there's also the fact that China seems to be using this as a tool to advance its own tech industry. I mean, they're pushing Chinese companies to compete with international leaders like Apple. It's not just about national security, it's also about economic dominance. I wouldn't necessarily call it economic dominance, Mark. It's more about striving for technological self-sufficiency. The fact is, China has been heavily reliant on foreign technology for a long time. This move could be seen as a way to lessen that dependence and strengthen their own technological capabilities. And let's not forget, this is not a one-sided game. The U.S. has also placed restrictions on Chinese tech companies. True. But let's also not forget the impact on the consumers. I mean, Apple has a huge consumer base in China, and this could potentially disrupt their access to Apple products. Plus, this could also lead to a rise in nationalistic sentiments, which could further impact foreign tech companies operating in China. Yes, the consumers are indeed caught in the crossfire. But it's also important to note that consumers are savvy and they have choices. The rise of domestic tech giants like Huawei presents them with viable alternatives, 
In the end, it's about striking a balance between national security, economic interests, and consumer choices. Story number five. Former Italian Prime Minister and European Central Bank President Mario Draghi has been appointed by European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen to advise the EU on maintaining its economic competitiveness as it transitions to greener energy, as reported by Reuters. Draghi is renowned for his role in stabilizing the euro during his tenure at the ECB, and von der Leyen believes his expertise will be valuable in shaping the EU's approach to fighting inflation, addressing labor shortages, and stimulating economic growth. Draghi will also be tasked with encouraging industry to lead the clean energy transition. Can we just take a moment to appreciate the immense responsibility on Mario Draghi's shoulders? The guy's got quite the track record with saving the euro and all, but steering the EU's economy towards a greener future. That's a whole new ballgame. It's not just about sustainability, we're talking about maintaining competitiveness too. True, Mark, but it's not just about competitiveness either. I think Draghi's call for a closer fiscal union signals a larger vision. It's about creating an integrated and sustainable system where individual nations can work towards their sustainability goals without compromising their economic prospects. It's a delicate balance, one that calls for empathy and understanding of diverse national contexts. I get your point, Linda, but let's not kid ourselves. This transition is going to have a huge impact on businesses. They're being asked to lead the clean transition while fighting inflation, tackling labor shortages, and stimulating growth. That's a tall order, don't you think? Especially for countries that heavily rely on industries like oil and coal. Well, Mark, that's where the challenge lies, and it's not unprecedented. We have historical cases of significant economic transitions to look back at. Think about the Industrial Revolution, or more recently, the Digital Revolution. There were disruptions, yes, but also opportunities for innovation and growth. I believe Draghi's approach will be to highlight the potential of this green transition, not just the hurdles. I hope you're right, Linda. But you know, I can't help but compare this to the U.S.'s Green New Deal or China's push for cleaner energy. I mean, are we sure the EU's got the right strategy here? I'd argue that a more market-driven approach with less government interference might be more effective. That's a valid perspective, Mark. But don't forget, the EU's strength lies in its unity. A collective approach, where nations support each other's transitions, could lead to a more sustainable and equitable future. And that, I believe, is the ultimate goal here. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.